Hello there! It's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever, the only movie podcast to offer objective, hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad, and with me as always, he didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car! It's Anthony James. <laughs> good afternoon, people, and good night. I'm doing uh, pretty good. That was a good one. I enjoyed that. You broke my death stare. I was trying. To I wasn't. See, I was looking straight down the barrel of the camera there, so I yeah. wasn't. I shouldn't do that. So I'm gonna lose focus. But like, um, so I wasn't looking at your face. Uh, but hopefully the listeners enjoyed it at the very least. Well, yeah, you, Connor, you'll enjoy the rewatch. Then I'll not. I'll not give anything away. Um, yeah, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. We are the Culture Cave, or on podcasting apps, and or in fact, I should say on podcasting apps. Why not subscribe on both? We are the best movie podcast ever on those. Uh, give the video a like. Get involved in the comments and let us know what you have watched this week and what you think of the movies that we are going to discuss if you have seen them but without further ado i say let's talk about some movies let's do it movies welcome we're here to talk about them um i have been i'm not gonna lie to you i can never lie to you listeners or, or, or to anthony it's been a mixed week for me a lot of a lot of mm. modern movies what well, by modern i mean movies that came out in the last couple of months yeah, very very modern. modern very <laughs> modern yeah i've been i've been catching up on films that are, are hot new releases yeah, hot um, and then one oldie and to be honest it was a mixed bag so i reckon well who started last week did you start last week or did i start last uh, week we both kind of started because we did our robert de niro discussion oh yeah that's right okay well i'll tell you what why don't i I think you should do the first one. Okay. And then maybe I'll do two in a row, just because I've got two that really lead into each other. And then we'll see how it goes. I haven't thought this through that much. Okay, awesome. Okay. Well, if, well, if the lead into each other goes well, listeners, you'll know from the title of this episode. If it doesn't go well, then it'll you'll have no idea what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> all right, so the first one I'm going to focus on, I think we'll start... We'll, in a change of form, we'll start with my MCU... Uh, Marvel Cinematic okay. Universe film. Start, this week. start the show with a showstopper. Yeah, we'll start the show with a showstopper. Usually, we end up, end the show with uh, mentioning what Marvel Cinematic Universe release I watched, but we'll start it this week. Why not? Change your pace. So basically, yeah. this week, uh, the next one. Obviously, if you're a fan of the MCU, you'll know it was the first Avengers film, uh, the yeah. Avengers as we would know it, but it was also called Avengers Assemble. I believe that was the American name, possibly. Um, no, no, it was the other way around. Because oh, we had Avengers people- Assemble. Yeah, because people, because um, the uh, like Marvel, I can't remember his name, Kevin Feige. Feige. No, Feige. That's right. Um, he he like basically they thought that the British audiences would get confused between this Avengers and the uh, bowler hat kind of spy movie Avengers that released in the nineties, starring. I can't remember who it was starring. I know that the 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 woman who played Alessa Tyrell in Game of Thrones was like the the female character in it in the show in the sixties. They made a movie about it in like the late nineties. I think Ray Fiennes was the bad guy. It mm. wasn't a good movie, but it was called The Avengers. So in the UK, it was known as Avengers Assemble. I believe it was only the UK though. I don't think anywhere else got that. Okay, got that, that, that that interests me actually because in my mind, like I I'm a real like nitpicker for detail. So if I was making this film, right? And, I, and they were like, all right, we can't call it the Avengers in the UK because of that film. Let's just call it Avengers Assemble Worldwide. You know, that's that's what I would have done. I wouldn't have changed the name based on where it is. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, it's, it's unnecessarily complicated, I would say, yeah. given no one watched that movie either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Avengers Assemble, uh, or the Avengers, was, in my opinion, a really, really good way of bringing all the characters together for the first time. We talked about Justice League a few, few weeks ago. 
Um, yep. Currently sitting around the 210th best film in the world. Um, Has that slipped? Has that slipped slightly? It's slipped, it's slipped, it's, it is slipping, thankfully. It is slipping. Oh, thank it, God. Okay. Yeah, but it's still sitting at like an 8.4 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. This is this is an 8 out of 10. Avengers, the Avengers first film, obviously... Oh, so th- that, that Snyder Cut is better than Avengers Assemble, according uh, oh, to that. A, lo- a lot better. A oh, lot, okay. Well, there you go. That yeah. proves it. That's, you know, definitive. But uh, basically, I would say that Avengers Assemble is kind of like the Snyder Cut plus because it's it's the best way I have ever seen of int- of bringing all these like characters together from completely different worlds and putting them all together. The way that they've done mm. it and they sort of straight away... I've talked to last week about the fact that uh, the way that they made Captain America like a household name for me, like within one film. And I just was like, yeah. I left the cinema thinking, oh, I've always known about Captain America, even though I didn't, you know? I honestly thought Captain America was Hulk Hogan. That's that's um I mean that's true. That's no, true. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna do Captain America the disservice of comparing him to Hulk Hogan as someone who's very recently watched WrestleMania. But, but you, know, like, you know what I mean? Like he came back he kinda came Hulk Hogan had a little bit of a Captain America phase of his of his career. Yes. Um, I don't even know yet. I don't know if it was called Captain America or just Mr. America or oh, something. Oh, Mr. America. Yeah, yeah, it was Mr. America. Yeah, yeah so that, that's what it was to me. But, but the Avengers, the way they brought it in together, they bring back the Tesseract, they bring back Loki. Like, they even yeah. in the bad guys, they're calling back to the other films. So the yeah. threat felt very real. I love the fact that they're, after just straight away, after setting up, you know, like uh, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, they're like, right, we're getting together for the first time. What should we have be the bad guys? aliens yeah let's do aliens so they like they straight away showed within this first phase of the films that they are going to be including like when they say marvel cinematic universe they properly mean it um yeah and for me to be honest with you as an i i don't read i didn't read that much comic books as i mentioned before very very interested in them i really want to start but it's it's almost almost too daunting of a task now you know what i mean yeah there's a lot there's a lot to get through yeah so i I don't know if i ever will start just because of how daunting it is to be honest with you but um Basically, uh, before like these sets of films, like obviously I knew Superman was from Krypton, so there was a space element to that. But if yeah. I if you're just watching the superhero movies, you don't really get before this MCU, you didn't really get this idea of like almost like a Star Wars yeah. universe where it's like it's proper sci-fi, but superheroes too. I didn't know that superhero superhero stories in comic books were like that until the MCU. And this was the first sort of taste I got from that. I suppose Thor was the first taste, but again, that was like heaven, you know? That was like another realm. Thor's like fa- almost fantasy. Well, it is fantasy, really. Yeah. Um, with some sci-fi elements. And I think that's interesting that you bring that up because to me, as someone who kind of grew up, I would never call myself like a comic book expert, but I definitely read. I grew up reading comic books, and to me, DC was where you got your like cosmic stuff because you had like Green Lantern mm-hmm. flying around, being literally like a space cop, like seeing all these different planets and stuff. DC was was the cosmic stuff. Marvel was the much more grounded, like human drama. You know, mm-hmm. like Spider Man is a teenager who gets bitten, and he has to kind yeah. of. Um, he has to make sense of his teenage life while being a superhero and the DC guys are like gods uh, and aliens mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I, and t- I, I wasn't really reading comics at the time that Avengers came out, but I think to some extent this movie was the, or I guess it was not really this movie because aliens are the bad guys, but it does kind of largely take place on earth. Yeah. But what this movie sets up for the rest of the rest of the, the, the Marvel uh, cinematic universe is kind of the coming out party for Marvel to be like, no, we're going to do the cosmic stuff now as well. And we're going to mm. absolutely knock it out of the park. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, I, I think the first Avengers movie is, um, 
exceptional in what it achieves. Um, I think it's easy to go back and look at it now and it to feel quite small and safe in regards mm. to how bombastic and enormous those movies got uh, as they as they you know as the chronology advanced. But I mean, there's so much that could have gone wrong with that movie, um, mm-hmm. and it's spinning so many plates, not just for its own narrative, but things it's setting up for, you know, later films. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, they just keep all of them spinning. And I think that's the thing that I, re- I really like about the Marvel movies, even as someone who got a bit bored of them after, you know, I suppose it was probably, I think I've said this before, like Thor 2 into sort of Captain Marvel area. I was a bit like... Thor 2 and Captain Jane. Marvel came out like six years apart, but... Well, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I definitely wasn't watching them as religiously, so I don't think I saw Iron Man 3 or Thor 2, or Captain Marvel. I definitely saw the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I saw Winter Soldier. There was definitely some I missed. After the Avengers, you kind of started dipping in and out. I think it was after Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron was the one where I was like, Well, Iron Man 3 and Dark uh, World Thor Thor 2 are the next two films. So you started dipping out even this early. Yeah, although actually having said that, I think I did. I, ha- I think I sort of have technically seen Iron Man three, but it was kind of like I wasn't really paying. But I think it was at like a party, and I wasn't paying very much yeah, attention. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was the kind of thing where I was like, "Oh, it's Ben Kingsley!" Like at some yeah, point, yeah. and then like, and then kind of went back to a drink or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, I, I think that this movie is exceptional in like a, log- a logistical sense. I think it's very exciting. Great character introductions, like you say. I mean, the you know the bit where um, Captain America is fighting Loki, and then you mm-hmm. hear like. ACDC start blaring on the radio and <laughs> yeah. an Iron Man turns up. It's a bit like that's pretty fucking cool, guys. Yeah. And then um, and then Thor rolls up. It's it's, it's great. It's, these are great. It's a great fun movie. And I love the tension between the characters too. Like they don't all of a sudden just gel and become like the super team. There is yeah. tension there, and I, I love like the, the the first fight with between Hulk and Thor. Like obviously that will come back later in Ragnarok as well. And like just, yeah, just having these big like personalities going up against each other. They, they really chose the right ones to pair up as well. Like, obviously, uh, Natasha Romanoff and uh, Hawkeye, obviously, they have to be okay. paired up yeah. because they're, like, just normal humans, basically. Um, yeah. Then you've got, like, Captain America, who's, like, a souped-up soldier, and Tony Stark, who's got this souped-up machine. And then you've yeah. got, like, the God versus Hulk, you know? So, yeah. like, they're all of a sudden... They're, they're building these things, as you say, in there, and they're... They just do it really, really well. It's like it's like you know, like in Seinfeld or Friends, where they would always pair up different characters together. Seinfeld yeah. less so. They actually had four different storylines, one for each character most of the time. But Friends would have like paired up Chandler and Lisa, uh, Lisa, Lisa Kudrow. What's her name? <laughs> Fever, Fever, yeah, Fever, yeah, Fever, yeah, Fever. That's the one. Yeah, Fever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, they, yeah my, uh, everyone's favorite Friends characters: Chandler, Fever, uh, yeah. Riz, Riz, Ra- oh, Raquel. Let me tell you. And, Riz and is my favorite, 100%. Riz Ahmed, get him in. But uh, no, <laughs> Ross was my favorite. Would, I, so you know. I would love to see, please reboot Friends with Riz Ahmed playing Ross Geller and don't change anything else about him. <laughs> yeah, everything's I'm the beg- same. I'm begging you, whoever owns the rights Just to deep that, fake please. him in. You know, um, deep fake him in every episode. But my, yeah. my, but my point is that in Friends, like, like we're at the generation where there's a fair bit of like little nostalgia with friends. I don't like, I can't watch friends now. Obviously I, I, I wouldn't watch it now. Honestly, I wouldn't, yeah. but honestly, it's, I swear to God, I swear, road. I swear to God, I wouldn't watch it. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I, I kind of blame friends for the OA being canceled because right around the time they got canceled, they pay, uh, Netflix paid a hundred million to buy friend, the rights for friends. But anyway, I mean, anyway, uh, anyway. listen, all, all I'm going to say is that, my partner, I will still walk in on her rewatching episodes of Friends on Netflix, and I, you know, I've been guilty of it as well. 
she checked out of the OA after three episodes. So, you know, I know. The people well, have I know. spoken. Like, Netflix made the right decision, probably. But for me, it was a bit, you know, come on. Yeah. But it, well, I've, I have, like, family members and friends who watch Friends all the time still. But I, I honestly think it's just because that was the first, like, adult show they got to watch. So I, I think that's, like, a load of nostalgia there. But also, my point about Friends was, why are we talking about Friends? This is the point I'm talking about Friends. Ross because, Geller. Because every, e- every now and then in Friends... Or every episode of Friends, they would sort of pair them up. So you would get like Ross yeah. and Rachel together for one, but the next episode you might get Ross and Phoebe, and then the next episode you might get like Chandler and Phoebe, and they'd pair them up. So, yeah. but every now and then, it did, every time they did it, it didn't work. Sometimes, like sometimes you would pair up characters, they didn't really work. I didn't yeah, really a, like a Rachel and Rachel and Chandler was never a good pairing, as good, far as I was concerned. I don't think Rachel and Chandler's a good pairing. I also don't think Rachel and Phoebe's a good pairing. I'm not actually that big of a fan of. I'm not actually that big of a fan of Phoebe in general, if I'm honest with you, but um. But my point is that Avengers feels like an episode of Friends where they got the pairings right for that episode. Yeah. You know? You've got Ross and Monica and Joey and Chandler. Yeah. You've got the A-teams. Rachel and Phoebe are kind of hanging out doing whatever they want, but you've got the best characters together. Yeah. So what you're saying is that Captain America and Iron Man are Joey and Chandler and and, and Thor and Hulk are uh, are Ross and Monica. I would actually say Thor and Hulk are more more phoebe Phoebe and uh, someone else. That's outrageous. That's outrageous. Because Thor's kind of actually kind of like Phoebe. Because Phoebe, yeah, Phoebe ha- is Phoebe... my favorite member of Friends, and Thor is my favorite member of the Avengers. So no I'm way. Phoebe's yeah. your favorite member of Friends. He was the funniest. Culture cave over. Ross is the best. Ross. Put it in the comments, the... people. <laughs> no, no, Ross is not the best. Ross is the he's best the because best. he's the only character you could take out of that show and put in it. It's always sunny, and he would kind of make sense. That's why he's the best. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. David Schwimmer would fit quite naturally into Friends, <laughs> into uh, Always Sunny, I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. There that's you Avengers. Go. We'll Aven- not talk about Friends or Avengers anymore. Avengers v- viewed through the lens of '90s sitcoms. Tune in next week for uh, when we talk about Aquaman through the lens of Seinfeld. Yeah. Well, actually, that'd be a good one. Who's Kramer in that situation? I'd love to well, see the, the, the octopus playing the bass. Bam, 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 you know. Oh, imagine. Well, okay. Well, like we can only dream. That's not going to happen. Okay. Don't look at the, the, the friends. The friends bit took the Avengers discussion five minutes longer than it was going to. But well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they loved it. The people loved it. Let us know yeah. in the comments how much you enjoyed that, listener. Okay, we're, we're gonna are we gonna get into? Uh, we'll see if I, I might do two in a row here. We'll see how this conversation goes, but. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start things. I'm going to start this off by saying, have Have you seen uh, Misery? Yes. Nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So it's one of the better Stephen King adaptations um, that I think exists. Um, and I have been fairly vocal about the fact um, on this show, in fact, uh, about the fact that I think a lot of Stephen King adaptations that aren't called The Shining, or horror adaptations, I should say, that aren't called The Shining uh, are absolutely terrible. Um, so I'm going to start with a movie that I had seen before, but I was, I was very young when I saw it, and I don't think I remembered very much of it. And this is uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie from 1976. Um, I got Arrow Films, who don't sponsor this. I'm not shilling for them, but um, they do <laughs> great, like, although Arrow Films, if you want to if you want us to sell out, I'm here. Um, they they do like great kind of remasters of old horror movies, and they did a a release of Carrie, which I picked up. And this movie is awesome. I'd kind of forgotten about how good um, it is. I think it, it's, it's so. It, I mean, for those of you who don't know, it's basically the story of this like kind of young-ish teenage girl. She's going to prom, which I guess does that make you 18 when you're going to prom in America? Yeah, unless unless your birthday is like 
really far at the end of the year like yeah but like 17 or 18 um so so she's this this quite young girl who's like you know experiencing the the blossoming of her womanhood let's say like you know she's starting to uh think for herself it's you know it's all a big metaphor for her kind of growing up as an individual and she's like basically being kept in this incredibly like cloistered existence by her insane religious mother played by the amazingly hammy piper laurie and there she kind of like chews the scenery as this woman who's basically locked literally locks her in a cupboard like she's harry potter appoints in this movie and makes her pray which is just fantastic um and uh yeah the, uh, the character of carrie played by sissy spacek who was also amazing in this movie um based, develops like psychic powers or the powers of telekinesis that uh sort of express themselves when she gets extremely stressed and it starts out innocently enough um and then develops into not so innocent stuff as she starts to sort of inadvertently uh get revenge on people who are mean to her and the whole thing revolves around her being invited to the prom things go bad at the prom and pretty much everyone i think has seen it's one of the most sort of enduring images in horror cinema the image of carrie like drenched in pig's blood standing Mm -hmm. atop a, a stage at the prom while everything burns around her uh suffice to say wasn't a great prom i don't think many of the people who attended it are going to go back but um so i think that there's a few things that really stood out to me about this movie first off as i've said sissy spacek the lead is fantastic she's like this really kind of like waifish meek character um uh, but then when she sort of she gets like almost when, when the power flows through her she's able to like conjure these shapes with her body almost like a kind of interpretive dancer or something mm. that feel really unnatural and terrifying they're really angular um and uh, she looks like almost like she's being controlled like a marionette and i haven't read the book so i don't know if that what the explanation for her powers actually is but that's kind of uh what it feels like uh to me and yeah a, a piper lorry is great um in this as well she's just such a She's, she overacts so much which um, and in fact so does SpaceX which in, in some movies I wouldn't like that much but I think because this is a Brian De Palma movie um, it, it's very like tonally extreme so it's so mm-hmm. all, all, everything is either you know really kind of like da, 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 like soft focus <laughs> very male gazy actually i have to say shots of like her showering and you know discovering her womanhood as she has her first period which i get i understand the metaphor but it it's kind of hard to watch at this point because it's like all right you didn't need to how how old is she when this happens uh she's well i mean she gets a prom at the end of it so i guess 17 or 18 like she's very she like is is, so shows stephen king doesn't really understand female anatomy that's for one well i mean i mean stephen king and his relationship with like sexualizing teenagers is a sordid one uh as as you know a lot of dialogue was came out about that when they announced they were going to remake it uh he had he wrote some weird stuff oh yeah yeah phase. i remember i remember I haven't, I haven't read it but i remember the weird i read about the weird stuff that's in that yeah it, like it is but, uh, uh, a yeah. hard book to read which makes that actually even weirder to be honest with you uh, I don't know why it's weird. Well, it is weird. I think you'll understand what I mean. Like if you if he doesn't think that uh, female menstruation starts till seventeen years old, then it's even even more weird what he does what he does in it because those kids are like fourteen. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're very very much minors in in it, which makes it hard. The whole like his whole. I like some Stephen King books. Um, I haven't read them since I was a kid. They were kind of, I think for a lot of people they're like. You, did you ever read like those point horror books when you were like ten or eleven? No, I was a Goosebumps man myself. Well, so, so that like that was my progression. You go Goosebumps, then you go point horror, which is a little bit more adult, and then you go Stephen King, and then you move oh, on okay. to uh, to other stuff after that. So, but so I read most of the Stephen King books I've read. I was probably between the age of like 
15 and 18 when I read them. And I liked them at the time, but looking back, there's some rough stuff in there. Um, and, you know, as I say, De Palma kind of captures it here. It, I get it, you know, you're kind of trying... If I'm being charitable, you're trying to explore, like, you know, the beautiful innocence of a of a young woman flowering into womanhood. And, and I, and I kind of get it, but she's literally like fondling her breasts and is completely naked and it's a bit like i don't know if this is what, what girls what, do what, when they what, have periods in the shower <laughs> to be honest what you, are brian. we doing what are we doing brian like <laughs> yeah um but but i mean it does work tonally because as i say the movie is very much kind of about shifting from this this soft soft hued um you know really relaxing uh shots of 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 carrie in the shower to suddenly she has a period and then it shifts to like a pov shot of like this huge crowd of girls laughing at her and like throwing tampons at her and it's very like jarring mm. and you have the same kind of stuff like those switches or those hard swings happening throughout the movie uh and they're really supported that those kind of like tonal shifts in the movie really support the overacting um or the I don't want to call it overacting because that sounds negative, but it, it's like very, very. There's a lot of acting in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Chewing say. the scenery. Yes, um, but it's great. I, I think it's a really good movie. Uh, I, I think it holds up um, from most of the kind of effects. Not that there are that many effects. I think it really hold up. Great to see uh, Nancy Allen, who would turn up in RoboCop, and John Travolta as the as the dickhead couple. A horrible relationship they have. Like, I mean, they're obviously supposed to be bad guys, but going back and watching that, he's like constantly like kind of giving her little, I guess he would describe them as like little playful slaps across the face when she says something that annoys him. Uh, but but it's like, oh boy, this was, this was bad in 1976 <laughs> and it's even worse now. <laughs> like, I do not like these characters. Um, but, you know, they don't make it that long, so it, it's fine, don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, it, a great movie and, and, and one that I think is, is probably going to lean into a theme we're going to discover this week of weird mm. relationships between parents and children. <laughs> Yes. So you're going to go from this one into into what? And what's the segue? So I thought the natural segue here, <coughs> excuse me, was going to be into a 2021 movie I watched, which is Run. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit, and the reason is that Run is essentially, so it's the, the latest uh, movie from Anish Chiganti, who did uh, the 2018 movie Searching. I don't know. Did you ever see Searching? Uh, I don't know the lead now. I didn't, I didn't watch um, that one. It's called. It's a guy from Star Trek, isn't it? John yeah, Cho. John Cho. John John Cho. That's it. Yeah. So, um, basically, searching was about a a, a dad uh, and his daughter. Um, he's very pr- protective of his daughter because um, he, the 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 mother dies of I think she has cancer, and it's the entire movie is kind of told through skype calls and and facebook messenger it's basically the whole thing is viewed through a screen which is which is really cool um and anish Chiganti kind of takes a step away from that for this to tell a more traditional kind of thrillery um Mm. story with run and it basically tells the story of um, a mother and daughter played by um sarah paulson and kira allen um, the daughter is heavily medicated. She's she's impaired. She's in a wheelchair. She gets like rashes on her skin. Um, she she basically she's diabetic. She basically has to take loads of medication. Is completely dependent upon her mother. And mm-hmm. um, Chiganti, who also wrote this, plays up this dependence and starts to really brilliantly build tension in the first half of this movie as the daughter begins to suspect that maybe she's not as impaired as she thought she was. And her, when when her mother tries to give her a pill that she's never seen before um and this sparks some suspicion she goes looking for the source of this pill uh finds out it's actually 
eventually finds out that it's like a tranquilizer for dogs um and Mm. this sparks off this kind of cat and mouse thriller where the daughter is trying to find out exactly what her mum is doing to her uh while keeping it a secret and that kind of plays out for the first half of the movie and the first half is genuinely brilliant it's really tense um gigantes move away from the the kind of screen focus of searching to to more traditional shooting methods means Mm. he's able to capture some really kind of atmospheric quite spooky um imagery um and um sarah paulson is fantastic as the lead here Um, okay if this movie so uh, uh, to i'm putting the cart before the horse slightly here like the 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 quote at the beginning of this episode of the podcast was for those of you who don't know from the movie misery starring kathy bates and james (laughs) khan and this is very much the same kind of thing um you know a a, a kind of captive vulnerable person who is trying to trying to keep their captor who's insane sweet while trying to plan their escape and that is very much what this is pulling from um and I, I I can't did I ask you have you have you seen Misery? I have yes yes I, I love Misery it was great. Yeah so and th- this is this really captures that for the first half. I think it kind of it loses steam quite badly in the second half. It doesn't st- like Misery is such a great example of a movie that that really knows how to just ratchet up the tension slowly mm-hmm. but surely uh, and all the plot points work and it keeps that pace throughout the whole thing. This loses steam quite badly in the second half. But okay. the first half alone uh is is worth watching i would say and it it was really funny watching this like sarah paulson i don't know if she actually looks anything like her but i became convinced while i was watching this that sarah paulson played miss honey in the matilda movie from 1996 or something um which i i can't that's obviously not gonna be the case because sarah paulson's not old enough to no she didn't she definitely she definitely didn't yeah but but because i was watching it i was like oh it's interesting she's gone from like miss honey to like the miss trunchbull slash uh, matilda's mum character in this but as it turns out that's just not accurate in the slide in the slightest. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not accurate to me. I'm all, I, 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 lo- I looked it up, and it's not her. It's yeah, someone yeah. else who, in, in my defense, does look a bit like her. But um, no, Sarah Paulson. I I really just know her from American Horror Story. She seems to primarily be a TV actress, uh, but she's great. She's 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 easily the. I mean, to be honest, there's only really two actors in, or two actresses in this whole movie, uh, and that's her and her daughter. Um, but she is she's phenomenal. She carries mm-hmm. this movie fantastically. Well, I I, I know her from um, the American Crime Story. You know, uh, O.J. Simpson trial. Um, oh, of course, yeah. She's the um, yeah. She's like the prosecutor, isn't yeah, she? Yeah. yeah. So I I know her from that. I haven't seen any of the. Amer- American Horror Story. The only American Horror Story I've seen, I watched the first episode of the New Orleans one because Ema and I were in New Orleans and we went on a ghost tour. We saw the house, which is it's all based on. So we then went okay. back to the hotel and watched the first episode of that just to spook ourselves, you know. Uh, nice. But but um, but yeah. So I, I know her from that only just from that that uh, O.J. Simpson show, and I thought she was really good in that. Uh, funnily enough, though, even though I thought she was really good, for some reason. She isn't an actress that I see and I think, oh, it's good. she's really good, I need to see that. I know she's a good actress, I enjoy watching her, but I've never actually felt compelled to watch something because she's in it. I don't know why. No, I, I, what I think... She hasn't... She, I mean, she, I, she's not an old woman, obviously. She's probably in... I think, yes, she's in her 40s now. But she seems to have like emerged quite late... Um, have been like a late bloomer in terms of kind of gaining the public eye. Because, mm. as I say, I, I've only really started seeing her and stuff in the last 10 years. Um... But and I kind of agree with you, but I, I definitely from this point on, I'm gonna okay. be more uh, keen to watch her and stuff. I think she was, I think she played Nurse Ratchet in that weird One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest um, series they made. I think it was called Ratchet. She basically okay. plays the, the the crazy nurse who 
who ends up um, lobotomizing Jack Nicholson's character. Um, it's like, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I heard that it was like an origin story for, for the, the bad guy and one flew over the cookies nest. Oh, I was right. like, what on, what on earth is that about? Like, it's like, it's like Maleficent, for it. but for one flew over the cookies nest. <laughs> yeah, but instead of like a cool wizard who can maybe be like reevaluated, it's just like this awful person. Like, I don't want to see anything about <laughs> This weird nurse who lobotomizes people for no reason, um, but yeah, so that that's run. Um, it's not as good as uh, as searching, I would say. Um, it's, but it, it it's still um, it's it's still decent, and and, okay. and it's a really it really is a vehicle for Sarah Paulson to to show her chops as a lead. Uh, it's great to see her in this, and it's worth checking out just for the first half and her performance in it alone, even if it runs into uh, some pretty severe pacing issues. But that is. Okay. Um, just to just to highlight the difference, Carrie's about a weird mother and her daughter, and that one's about a weird mother and her daughter. Whoa. Consistency, we did it. Consistency. Well, I, funny enough, actually, while you were talking, I realized that there actually could be a link to my next one as well. Um, Go on. Yeah. Okay. So my next my 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 film that I uh, film that I watched this week. Um, was called Eighth Grade, and it's by uh, director Bo Burnham. Now you might recognize. Oh, the, nice! Yeah, you might ne- recognize the name Bo Burnham because he's a comedian, uh, sort of musical comedian, I suppose. He's also like he stand up, does stand up, but he also writes man of many talents, very funny songs. Yeah, um, yeah, and he is unique because he actually basically broke into mainstream comedy, even though he started as like a fifteen-year-old on YouTube. Um, Oh, is that so, where he started? Yeah. I didn't know that. So he actually started like singing singing his songs on YouTube and then eventually uh made his way up uh into into the comedy scene and he would do mm. his show. And like if you if you're a fan of Bo Burnham, you know he's very, very funny, obviously. I'm a big, big fan of him, to be honest with you. And I, he's yeah. he's very, very funny, but also he's one of he he also like most comedians are, to be honest with you, there's they also try to put a bit of depth into their work. Um Yeah. So but it's always got the comedy laced throughout. So, like, for example, like when he was joking about not being able to fit his hands in Pringles cans, he was also <laughs> talking about, like, you know, the, I in that same song he was talking about the, the idea of him being up in front of everyone, whereas, you know, he's actually just one of the crowd. So he, he intersperses it. In eighth grade, he basically takes his experience of growing up in the internet generation um, and really shines a light on it and shows what it's like to be an early teenager in the current society with the phone and with internet access and like sort of it's a completely different game for for being a teenager at this age um okay and he does a really good job of it so basically it's like a comedy drama so there's uh, there's some moments in this film if you are going to watch it i will warn you there are some moments in this film which sort of, I, I, it'd be a very big spoiler to tell you exactly what they are, but there are some moments in the film which, to be to be honest with you, were the most suspenseful, horrific things I've ever endured watching a TV show or watching a film or TV show. Oh, really? Um, what horrific in horrific in what way? In 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 thinking about what could happen if things didn't, oh, okay. didn't go correctly, um, and we're talking about a, like a 13, 14 year old young woman here. So yeah. you sort of know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm not going to go any more into it there. But basically, mm. it's a story of a girl called Kayla who makes videos uh, on YouTube. Um, so and and Bo Burnham wrote and directed this, by the way. She makes videos yeah. on on YouTube and she's like sort of gives advice to people and talks or just talks at them and says, you know, here's about one about putting yourself out there. 
And, like, the whole way through the film, it's really expertly, like, laced throughout the film where it'll show... It'll have her giving... And apparently, I, I, I saw an interview where some of these were a little bit improvised. Like, obviously, they had the idea of them, but the actress would, like, sort of improvise them herself um, in, in a way. And she had, like, one of these big rambles and stuff. It's so so genuine sounded like an like an actual teenager doing it um and it would so she would be talking about like you know this is about putting yourself out there and she is a a child who has a lot of social anxiety and she'd be very very quiet and she just really wants friends so she would like she got invited to a pool party so she's going to the pool party and over the over the sequence of her going to the pool party and getting set up in the pool party and getting changed into her gear it's got her the audio of her video about putting herself out there, you know? Uh, and this is okay. sort of... So it's like used as like almost exposition to yeah. explain it's... how she's feeling. How she it's, it's how she's feeling, what but it's also like, that, it's also like her trying to amp herself up to actually do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. As yeah. well. Um, and the, the, so basically the story takes place over the last week of their eighth grade, which is in America is the end of middle school. So after this, she'll be going on to high school. Um, and it's about her. She's went the whole way through middle school. She doesn't have any friends. Um, she's not the popular girl. She's very quiet. She literally, I think she literally has no friends. And it's about yeah. the inner workings of her mind and her relationship with her father. So it's, that's why I mean it's a little bit related to what we were talking about with the mothers and daughters. Because it's her relationship with her father. And her father's this lovely, lovely man uh, who just really wants you know her to you know have friends and have a great life and it's that classic tale of like a father with a teenage daughter who's like you know you know are you all right and she's like get away from me you know yeah. <laughs> well well meaning but doesn't know how to deal with a teenage daughter exactly like there's like, like there's a scene where she finally sort of gets in with a particular member of uh, a group of friends and she's sitting with them in the mall and they're all like who's that weird guy over there looking at us and looks around at her dad like <laughs> you know in the mall <laughs> and it's like what are you doing mate you know um but the great thing is that he's like he's then whenever she's like she comes over to him and she's really sad he's like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm an idiot i don't know why i did that dads are weird sometimes i'm sorry right <laughs> like it's is, that, like, is that played by is that character played by josh hamilton by yeah, any chance yeah, 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 yeah i just i know him from the movie alive uh where i believe he eats a person after a plane crash so oh, that is great i mean that that tells you all you need to know about josh hamilton i mean he's got as the a, range as a, as a father figure he's he got has the got the range he's got true. the range um but yeah i was really surprised at this because it's it's not it's not going for laugh out loud jokes like Bo Burnham's Bo Burnham's stand up, like his actual comedy, it's not subtle. Like he's not a subtle comedian. He's mm. he is very funny and I love him, but but the jokes he makes are very like over the top and you know, he's Yeah, he, he always seems like his kind of the subject matter I mean, I'm not an expert on him, but to me Bo Burnham stuff always seems like the his jokes are well observed, like it's picking out stuff that you wouldn't necessarily notice yourself but it is mainly kind of observational comedy delivered in kind of over the top fun ways rather than you know particularly insightful um oh no i would i would would actually disagree with that but he does have a couple of songs that are like that so i understand why you might think that if you that might just be the stuff i've seen of his to be yeah like yeah like he like he if you watch his actually full comedy specials like he has a lot of stuff in there where he does go really deep but it also is really deep while being that in your face like sort of very um over-the-top comedian like he does like he's putting a character on you know um yeah. but at the same time he does have just songs which are completely hilarious and stupid and whatever you know yeah um so but but this is like really like slow paced it's really well considered shots it's like really 
sometimes they just like let her be there in the school and they let the noises of the school like you know sort of engulf the scene and it's just really lovely and it makes me really want him to make more films because if this is his first go go at it i can only imagine how good he's gonna get because he really perfectly captures what it must be like to be a 13 or 14 year old these days just like absorbed in the phone uh that is the, the social life on the phone you need to have people watching your videos you need to have people liking your stuff like i can only imagine my mental health right now if i had grown up in that generation oh yeah like that that like like when we were you know teenagers there was still that pressure to be liked but it wasn't it's nowhere near the same you know like that like you know you you'd worry if maybe mm-hmm. a, you know someone at school liked you but the idea like the, having that constant uh gratification or, yeah. or um or you know the opposite or lack of that of, yeah. where, like a lack of gratification um through through social media i, I can't there there i'm sure there are books written and being written as we speak on the psychological impact on young people of being born in an era in the era of social media that we won't fully understand the implications of for decades yet but i'm sure it's not good and the, the thing about it is is you know my experience of it as well is that you, you like normal bullying like in school just like in person bullying it's hard to spot sometimes. Yeah. It definitely is. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it is hard to spot. Mm. See online bullying uh, on the phone. You have no idea it's going on. And I, yeah. and from personal experience, you have no idea who's doing it either. You know? Yeah. You really would be surprised. It could be anyone. Once, once the veil of being embarrassed in front of people in school and once the veil of having to be the big lad in front of everyone goes away and it's just you can send anyone a message on that phone you'd be surprised how many bullies come out of the woodwork you know and what is that kind of what this gets into then it's like the 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 bullying oh like over over like luckily like, it doesn't or... fully go no it's not really a bullying thing that, that that is an aspect to it obviously it's always sort of okay. a specter in the background it's more just how disconnected she is from her peers because she's not in mm. these circles and because they don't have they don't have uh the ability to really go up and speak to people in in the school because they're all just on their phone they don't want to talk in real life um yeah. You know, which is an exaggeration to a certain extent as well, but but it is still real though. If someone is outside yeah. the group, they they find it hard to get in, and it's more of a character. It's a real character study of her and how okay. she deals with being the outsider. You know, and she's about to go to high school, and she's like worried about it's going to be the same there. And she, you've also got this um, sort of, as well as the YouTube videos, you've also got the account for like she she they had like a sort of time capsule that they 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 made for themselves at the start of middle middle school. And she's mm-hmm. got like a like a video she made for herself from then, and she listens to it, and like the video is saying things like, "Oh, you know, I'm sure you're the most popular girl in school," and everything like this, and it's really just drumming her down even more. Like she's even getting yeah. it from her former self, you know? Yeah, I love the idea that you know she was down when she made that video, so she was kind of like putting herself down at the time by being like, oh, "I'm sure you're really popular now, but it sucks for me at the moment." And then she goes back and watches it later. And it's like, "Nope, still haven't achieved that," and it makes me feel even worse. That's great. Yeah. So you can um, you can already imagine based on that storyline the crescendo of the film. You can already imagine the story that's going to be told with her moving into high school. You can you can it's all laid out there for you. Um and yeah, like there's there's some great performances by certain characters like there's um one character I'll mention in particular is called Gabe. And he's uh, she gets invited to a pool party. The, the the girl doesn't want her to go. Who's who's having the birthday party? 
but the mum right. invites her because her father <clears throat> donated money to uh, a charity for them. And okay. uh, and she goes to this pool party and she meets the popular girl's cousin and he's a little dweeby kid called Gabe and played by a, uh, uh, an actor called Jake Ryan. And yeah, he was in he was in Moonrise Kingdom. I've just looked him up, and he was in and he was in Isle of Dogs as well. That's hilarious. Absolutely fantastic, this actor. Um, he's like he's one of those kids who's like really in their own world, you know. Yeah. And he and he's just like first time he meets her, she's he's like you know I'm doing handstands in the pool, you know. He's that sort of guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Later on, he's uh, he's like you know they they sort of they hang out one time, and he's like cooking chicken. He's got chicken nuggets and sauce going on. He's like and he's like. Uh, I got two of every sauce because, you know, I didn't know which one you liked, but, uh, you know, I like them all, so uh, I, it doesn't really bother me, you know? Uh, and it's like that sort of thing, and it's just like a constant barrage of, like, that that humor from him. But yeah. he's, a, he's a real, like, like bright spot within this film, because, as I say, there's certain moments where she makes decisions where you just know, as an adult watching it, you, you're knowing the decisions she's making. You're just mm. like, what what are you doing? You know, you know you, you have no idea what you're doing, and you're just like, biting your nails thinking this hopefully this doesn't go where we think it's gonna go ah, um, that's that, that sounds really good like i'm 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 oh, fascinated you'd love it. to watch you'd this. love it yeah i i also actually funnily enough noticed like you you mentioned um a few a few conversation points ago that like the the the, the way it's shot is really nice yeah. and i actually looked it up and it's um a guy called andrew and i never know how to pronounce it it's either andrew veed or andrew vade but he he did uh, a movie that i talked about couple of episodes ago now called the map of tiny perfect things oh, yeah. which um is like kind of a, a the groundhog day time loop mm-hmm. uh movie and and i i noticed in that actually that it's it's this like really lovely kind of brightly sun dappled shot movie that really kind of captures this sense of nostalgia it kind of feels almost like mm-hmm. time has been flattened and it could be set in the 80s it could be set in 2021 it's hard it's hard to say um and it looks i mean i correct me if i'm wrong but looking at some of these stills from eighth grade it looks as if andrew reed might have brought some of that style to this movie as well like it looks very bright and kind of pastely and warm yeah. in the way it's shot uh which which yeah, is very it's, appealing it's to really me. lovely and last thing i'll mention last thing i'll mention about it is bo burnham seems to be very connected to what it's like to be a young person i probably it's because he has the whole youtube th- background and he sort of stayed connected with that aspect as well but it's so much connected to it that it's the most realistic portrayal of like school that i've seen in a film for a long time like the way like at assembly uh do you remember the meme lebron james remember that no no you don't okay (laughs) so do not remember that meme right okay so there's a lebron james (laughs) meme right and like okay just like dappled just outing me is completely out I'm, i already know i'm out of touch all right i don't need this Listen, I, I spend all my day with teenagers so like you know i, I hear it all the time but like um <laughs> dappled throughout like literally my life two years ago when this film was made i just heard that all the time and dappled okay. throughout every now and then they're at they're at a they're at, they're in a like a school assembly or whatever and the the principal or whatever's talking to them and this and he's saying like you know do you know what you've done or whatever and then you'll just hear some, like a kid randomly in the thing like really quietly go lebron james and i'm just like this, <laughs> it's perfect it's perfect you know that's yeah that that sounds i could totally buy bo burnham as having that grasp on you know balancing believable youth culture with actual good comedy writing so i'm i'm definitely gonna check that out what, what did you watch that on because i i've not netflix. i've not heard netflix. of it it's on netflix I'll, i will definitely check that out because that looks right up my alley i'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of a kind of sun dappled nostalgic coming of age story but it sounds like this might be one of those but with a bit more edge to it um yeah. and i will say as well elsie fisher fisher who plays kayla the main lead like 
I don't know how to say this without, with just getting my point across without being judgmental in any way. She is the type of, like, she, she like, looks and acts and sounds exactly like, like, she's so believable in the role of being the outsider. Yeah. They didn't just go and, they didn't just go and cast, you know, Chloe Grace Moretz or something. Like, they, they cast someone who is a believable outsider. You know what I mean? They, they cast a real, they did really well in the casting and she does a great job. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I, I think, um, I th- I'm not really, I don't, I'm trying to think if I've seen her in anything. I'm looking through her IMDb now and it's all kind of, looks like it's all animation. Or mainly animation. So, mm. yeah, I've I've not not heard of her before, but I could certainly believe that you know she's able to she's able to capture that kind of awkward awkward teenage teenager part in a way that maybe someone like Chloe Grace Moretz, although she's quite she's like in her twenties now. So yeah, yeah, but I mean like that type, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's depressing looking at, at, uh, at Elsie Fisher and being like, oh, she was born in two thousand and three. <laughs> that's old. the year I moved. That's the year I moved to Ireland. <laughs> yeah, it's just like what you can't be a professional actress and be born in 2003 that's against the law you're like <laughs> you're too young uh, and it's like nope she's almost 20 so <laughs> i'm just old now um okay so i think that leads quite nicely into uh my next film and then we'll how many have you got left you're three you do, you do two and then we'll end on a short discussion about my last one Okay, fine. So one of these, I, I, I won't spend too long on either of these, to be honest, because one is good, uh, but fairly generic, and the other one is a dumpster fire. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll start with the we'll start with the good one. Um, and I think the, the the themes that we just talked about there, and this kind of like coming of age, um, optimistic but with a bit of edge, uh, kind of movie, uh, leads quite naturally to uh, Ricky Staub's directorial debut. I think it. It, it, this is another one of those ones that my arbitrary classification of when films came out leads me to say that it's a 2021 film even though it debuted at i think it was at venice a film festival last year mm. uh, but this is 20 uh, 2021's a concrete cowboy starring idris elba and uh, uh probably most people will know him from stranger things uh caleb mclaughlin um and it's essentially uh the story of a young boy who is kind of not doing that well in school he's getting into trouble he's unsettled uh, lives with his lives with his, his mother his, his parents are, are split up and she has enough of him she sends him to live with his dad uh, in uh, I, I, d- I didn't actually catch whether he moved city but his dad lives in like kind of a rough area of philadelphia mm-hmm. um and uh, he goes to live with his dad um, who he's never really had much of a relationship with and it turns out his dad is running a stables like a literal stables in the center of philadelphia um that kind of acts as a sanctuary for troubled kids uh you know people with maybe pasts and addiction or almost kind of perfect. like a perfect yeah 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 like it's i mean it's almost like um like a rehab clinic and a like daycare not daycare center but you know like a youth club or something basically it's you know serving the the the, the, the more vulnerable aspects of the community and 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 you know a real bright spark in it um but caleb mclaughlin he has that rebellious streak in him he doesn't have a relationship with his father he's rebelling against uh against this this more kind of grounded wholesome world that his father has found um and falling back in with friends that he had when he last lived with his father who have gone the more um you know the 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 less wholesome route let's say they're into they're into drugs they're into gangs yeah. um and you know it, he has to pick essentially between these two worlds and while this is going on the outside world is kind of encroaching on them and you know got people coming and saying you can't have a stable in the center of philadelphia these animals aren't being looked after um and it's it, it 
it's it's hard for me to really classify or to talk about how I felt about this movie because oh no that's not true it's not hard it's just I, I don't want to give the impression I didn't like it I think mm. my problem with it is that it's very very generic like when I tell you that it's about a young boy going to re-establish a relationship with his father um, and you know he has to pick between these two like he makes a friend who's into drugs and he's got these the group of people who are into uh, into into the, the equestrianism and um, and he has to make the choice and you, you if you if, you, if I ask someone like on the streets to tell me how they think that story is going to go in a movie, yeah. they would be one. They'd be right a hundred percent of the time. Like this movie yeah. is going to go exactly how you think it's going to go. The 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 drug dealer gang friend who's saying, "Oh, this is the way to get out of this." Um, he ends up exactly how you think he's going to end up, and like and the 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 stable that's being threatened by the man from the outside ends up exactly how you think it's going to end up. Um, there's not that much inventiveness there, but I, I think the things that really stood out to me as um interesting about this movie are first off um that it's actually based on a true story and real people mm. which i didn't realize until the end credits when it shows you uh the the uh the, the character or the real life people that the oh, characters the i love portray. real pictures and credits that's one of my it's, favorite it's, it's actually video footage of them it's like oh, you know, they're talking and I, and I was like holy shit this is this story about th- these guys in like a, a really like run down urban neighborhood in philadelphia just started riding horses and it's like yeah and like apparently apparently that's that's true and it has um, to be it has to be true who would come up with that for a film well yeah and i you know like ricky staub this wasn't adapted from anything he just wrote the screenplay for this and while it's a while it is a generic screenplay um he clearly has an eye for turning uh you know this this kind of unique uh, some might say, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not odd. There's a there was a word I was I had on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember what it is, but um, uh, this stranger eccentric. Thing. That was the word I was looking oh, for. Okay. Yeah, stranger. Um, <laughs> this ex- <laughs> this yeah. Th- th- there are stranger things than riding horses in Philadelphia. Uh, I should have led with that as like a tagline. But uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's an eccentric group of people, and he clearly has an eye for pulling the narrative out of uh, out of this really interesting kernel even if the story that he creates is kind of generic mm. um and it, uh, yeah, apart from that it's really interesting to me that like ricky staub was essentially he, he was an assistant to a producer on snow white and the huntsman back in i think it was like 2017 and has wrote and directed a short before this but he's literally never done anything any technical work before this so the fact that he managed to produce something which is good, mm. albeit not great, is is a real a real uh, feather in his cap, as far as I'm concerned. It, it sounds like we've just been talking about Eighth Grade and that being Bo Burnham, I believe's directorial debut yeah. as well, and sounds like he might have kind of knocked it out of the park with that one, which is did, you know yeah. great when directors do that. Um, Ricky Staub didn't do that with this, but it is still good. Uh, I, I think at the very least I, uh, you don't tend to see this from from debut directors because they they don't tend to have the confidence to kind of force veteran actors out of their comfort zone but I, so i think he's kind of gone the other way with this and been like you know what idris elba's a hell of an actor i'm just i'm going to you know at least give i'm going to give him the freedom to be great in this movie and he okay. is his, his character of harp is this brilliant like kind of taciturn gruff old man who's got the he, he's literally like a cowboy um mm. and Id- idris elba finds a way to kind of embody the spirit of that character without making it seem ridiculous because you know someone rolling up with like a stetson in the middle of philadelphia sounds kind of stupid but um he does it perfectly and i, and I really want to make a uh, special mention of caleb mclaughlin um 
in a week where I watched uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, which has another Stranger Things alumni yeah. in it in the form of Millie Bobby Brown, who I really didn't like in that movie. I think she's miscast. Uh, she is not nearly as funny or charming as the producers think she is. And <laughs> the end result is me kind of rolling my eyes every time she's on the screen. Uh, you've got Kelly McLaughlin, who is fantastic in this movie. You know, he 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 gets the the vulnerability of you know this young man who is torn between these two worlds perfectly. Um, I, I empathise with him throughout it. it. A really really strong performance from him. Interesting. Yeah, I, I really I'd really like to see that film now. That sounds that sounds great. And you did say just before we started recording yeah. <laughs> that it possibly has the wee border zoo factor. Oh, it's, so. it, I mean, it, yeah, it's animals in a quirky. I'm not going to say it, it is a comedy, sort of. It, like there are bits of it that are funny. It's probably more of a drama than than with the comedic elements than a than a, a, a straight up comedy. Which mm. is, I don't know. What do you say? I, I suppose We Bought a Zoo is like kind of a, a family, family, fam- family fam- comedy, family comedy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's a family it, subcategory comedy. I wouldn't say com- yeah. comedies in the top. You know. Sure. Yeah. Um. But I, so I wouldn't say it's. It's got. I wouldn't say it fully captures the We Bought a Zoo spirit. But there's touches of it. There's touches of it in there. You know, there's a wild horse. And I think, no one's going to tame this wild horse, guys. (laughs) Oh, of course there is. Wouldn't you know it? Caleb. But Caleb, in many ways, a human wild horse. Kindred spirit with that horse. Yeah, exactly. A kindred. I mean, that's what I mean. When I say this is generic as hell, it's like, like, the first time you meet this horse, it's like, whoa, no one's going to tame this wild horse. It's like, (laughs) I wonder if there may be perhaps a metaphor in in your presentation of this horse. And then, and then, yeah, wouldn't you know it? Like three scenes later, there you go. So it's, it's not doing anything surprising. But it is still it is still good fun, uh, I will say. That's why we better do so good, you know, because it, it takes that trope of sort of the wild horse and it throws it back in our face. Because the thing is, in that film, it's not a wild horse; it's an no. old dying tiger that brings out the humanity of the young boy trending goth. That's what I love about it. That's what I love about <laughs> it, and it's great. I'm trying to remember what I said the first time we watched that. Well, I got it's not Paul Dano who plays the young trending goth, is it? No, no, it's someone no. It's, else. It's, it's a little I always un- think it's yeah. Paul Dano, um, even though it's clearly he's clearly way too old. He's more of role. a Troy Bolton type. He's more of yeah, a, that's a yeah. Gr- yeah, that's a great show. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, when when we first watched that movie, I remember so, like saying uh, that I think this young man is is going to go through some kind of awakening <laughs> that you know makes him realize there's more to life than just being cynical about everything. And lo and behold, that's what happened. That tiger brings it out of him. <laughs> okay, okay, so. Talking about movies with the We Bought a Zoo factor that kind of warm the cockles of your heart and make you feel just just make you feel good about mm-hmm. watching movies. I'm going to talk about for my last one before we before we go to you to hopefully bring us home in slightly more positive fashion. A movie that I was literally angry while I was watching. Um, I'm going to start with a question. Okay. How and I think I already know the answer to this, but we're going to do. I'm introducing this slightly performative element to the podcast for the sake of the listeners. How do you feel, Anthony, about Melissa McCarthy? Um, I, I've seen Bridesmaids. Uh, weirdly, yep. it's one of those films where I really liked it when I watched it, and I can't remember anything from it. Um, okay, wasn't high That's when I watched it. Time. I wasn't high when I watched it, but I just cannot remember anything from it except for possibly a toilet scene. I can't remember, but. Apparently it was yeah. very good, and to be honest with you, everything else I've seen with Melissa McCarthy in, I did not like. Yeah, I I am generally the same way. Uh, the main, yeah, I, I remember bits of Bridesmaids, which I did actually really enjoy. The main thing I remember about it is um, I'm trying to remember the actress's name now. 
she was in the good place. I can't remember her name, but her having to like crap in the crap in the street because she gets food poisoning. Oh yeah, like uh, Mia Rudolph. That's uh, Paul Thomas Mia Anderson's Rudolph, wife. That's it. Yeah, Paul Thomas. That's Anderson's right. Of course. Wife, yeah. yeah, she's yeah. That, that, but uh, yeah, not, not so that I'm defining that, her by that. She's she's great in her own right. Like obviously. Yes. Yeah. But um, so I don't like. Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> that's my, that's my that's my opening gambit for this. I think in the right role, um, she can be funny. I, I I think she has it in her to be funny, but I think she needs a very firm hand to stop her from slipping back into her default comedy bullshit, which is shouting loudly and falling over things. Yeah. Um, so it will perhaps surprise no one that when her husband directs and writes a film for her. There is no firm hand. She gets to do whatever she wants, and it is a fucking nightmare. Um, this is 2021's Thunder Force. It stars her and Octavia Spencer. Oh god, and other o- people. Octavia Spencer. What happened to you? Like, I, I, like I. That was literally my thinking. In this movie, I was thinking, okay, Melissa McCarthy is probably going to be insufferable in this because it's a Ben Falcone movie, and. He's her husband. He has directed so far, I believe, Life of the Party, Boss, and Tammy, all of which have been Melissa McCarthy kind of star vehicles, yeah. and all of which have fucking sucked. Um, so I was like, she's going to be bad. Octavia Spencer, you can act. You can bring home the goods. Let's let's see what you can do. Unfortunately, Octavia Spencer's character has just nothing to work with. She is like she has like the cold dead eyes of a fish in this movie. Like she just seems like she's cashing a check. She is in. God that. bless her. She is in that fish film, isn't she? Um, wait, well, hold on. Which fish film are we talking about? Here? <laughs> I can't believe I can't remember. Uh, Shape of Water. Yeah, she's in that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, she is in Shape of Water. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. She. Oh, that 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 could have been such a perfect joke. That could have been such we'll a perfect to, joke. Yeah. We'll get it in post. We'll get it in post. <laughs> <laughs> so she deserves better than this. She's a, she's a good actress. She gets nothing in this. Uh, she looks disinterested. She doesn't look like she's had any direction, and I, and I don't blame her. She seems like she's cashing a check. You know what? It, it's you know like... what it seems like to me. It seems like Melissa McCarthy got her claws into her at like a at like a showbiz party and was like, "Yeah, I'm not just a film for you." <laughs> yeah, she said yes while she was a little tipsy at the Golden Globes last year or something, and then Melissa McCarthy phoned her three months later. Was like, "Remember when you said yes to the superhero <laughs> movie?" We're filming in one week. Get yourself to Miami or wherever the hell. Oh, Chicago. This is filmed. Uh, or well, it's set in Chicago. I don't know where it's filmed. Probably, Probably Vancouver. Toronto. Oh, Vancouver. Um, yeah, Vancouver's the yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, fuck it. This movie is just uh, so okay. There is a plot in here that could work. It's basically it pays the most. It, it, the literally the opening in, like title cards of the movie are like there's a thing that happens superheroes wake up they're called miscreants the only people who get them are people who are already sociopaths mm-hmm. um then there's an opening prologue where octavia spencer's character as a as a high school or a middle school or whatever goes to a new school she gets bullied melissa mccarthy's character stands up for her then they talk about how they're going to change the world for a bit that goes on for way too long. It's like 20 minutes of that shit. It's like, I get it. These two have been friends for a long time. You didn't need to do this. We could have started this off mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the movie. Then, then it, time jumps forward. Octavia Spencer has become like a billionaire Elon Musk style character who, oh, her parents were killed by a miscreant, a miscreant in a train accident. It doesn't matter. But basically she dedicates her mm-hmm. life to creating a serum or something that lets humans get these powers. Um, 
Melissa McCarthy's character is like this kind of she's like a beer drinking uh, Slayer fan who you know she drives a forklift for work and she's just you know like a rowdy girl and that's fine like you know that, that there's there's like when I when I went into this movie I was thinking it was going to be maybe like a Hancock kind of thing where yeah. I was like oh you know it's you know it's a superhero movie with some rough edges you know she's going to swear she's going to drink beer that could be good fun I could get on board with that. But fuck me, like this movie, like the first, the, like there's none of that. It's just the first forty minutes or the first twenty minutes of this movie are a prologue with two teenage girls who I don't care about, aren't particularly good actors, don't need to be in this. Like we don't need that entire thing in this movie. Then the next forty minutes is Melissa McCarthy being explicitly told not to touch anything when she goes to visit Octavia Spencer's character after some time away. She not only touches something, she sneaks into a laboratory presses a bunch of buttons, sits in a chair, gets an injection that turns her into a superhero. <laughs> and then the next 40 minutes... Are, so it's not like Radioactive Spider, oh, it accidentally bit me. It's like you, everything you did to up until this point deliberately made this happen, Melissa. And then the next 40 minutes are an extended training montage with them learning to use their superpowers. So there's no... Even Hang if on, how does Octavia most, Spencer get it? She, like, so she, she was going to give herself this... So, like, the way they explain it is she was going to give herself this course of drugs that would make them invisible super speed and super strength melissa mccarthy takes the super strength one so octavia spencer takes the the invisibility one she just starts taking pills and it's a joke it's like oh she has to have these injections in her face and octavia spencer's character just gets pills ha 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 um (laughs) but but so the the way you do a generic superhero movie they get their powers they go and have a fight early on they win the fight but it's kind of scrappy you know they've got they've got lessons they still need to learn then they get their asses kicked and like and 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 mm-hmm. you're doing like the training throughout this like you you don't just have okay we do the prologue then we have a 40 minute training sequence then they just do a bunch of fights and the movie's over it's like this oh, it, and the the cgi looks bad Melissa McCarthy is insufferable in this movie. The only thing that is is good about it is Jason Bateman, uh, who plays like a kind of crab-armed gangster. His, his superpower is that he has the arms of a crab. Um, no, what a plays like a, Yeah, I know he's gay, but but that's like kind of played up for comedy. Is that you know he's in like this that the mayor of Chicago is you know the, is corrupt and he's also a super super villain uh, played by Bobby Cannavale. So obviously he's going to be a bad guy. Um, yeah. And and he's got all these henchmen. One of them like can fight like laser beams out of her arms and the other one is just jason bateman who has the arms of a crab um and he is ve- he is very funny and there are there is one scene where he's in with melissa mccarthy which did legitimate legitimately make me laugh a couple of times but the, it is a slog i i really cannot recommend highly enough that people don't watch this movie so i think i'm gonna watch it now that's it sounds it's so bad it, but is it so bad that it's good or is it just no it's just it's just like it's just incompetent and not in like a funny way it's just like like melissa mccarthy shouting and then like making jokes about Fortnite. Uh, oh like, god it's really like so this could be it, a nice little pairing with eighth grade where one understands the youth absolutely so well. yeah like ben falcone is like the anti-bo burner like you've got this <laughs> there's you've got this guy who you know is he's in his 30s but he clearly still stayed in touch with you know youth culture to some extent or at the very least I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know. But I, I, I suspect with Bo Burnham at the very least that he understands his limits enough not to, you know, try too hard to be like, "Hello, fellow teenagers." Whereas like Ben Falcone here, this fucking 
50-year-old guy or however old he is is like, what about that Fortnite? Can we go flossing later, kids? It's like, get <laughs> fucked. Like, what is this movie? Like, what? What? You don't need to... Like, I mean, she's talking to a, a, a character who's a teenager, to be fair. But there's no humour in her talking about Fortnite. It doesn't need to be there. It's just... Uh, well, it's like, it's like that film I watched. Remember the one uh, about the... Yesterday, that one a few weeks ago, and that and that was like they they had the same stuff. Like they had references to Fortnite, they had references yeah. to, to on fleek. They they had all these references where it's just like you you can you know that the, someone who's in touch with the youth did not make this. It's just yeah, it, this that that line was written by someone in their fifties uh, who 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 like heard it from one of their children that they only see on the weekend because their first wife took them took took them in a divorce. Yeah, because uh, the thing it, is, this film is a twelves, right? Now I used to yeah, teach primary school, like and I can understand. I think eight-year-olds would just laugh at the mention of Fortnite. Like eight-year-olds might, but yeah. if your if your film is a twelves film and you're aiming at like twelve, thirteen, fourteen-year-olds, no, they're rolling their eyes at this. Like, yeah, it's just like yeah, you you you, and it's not even in in service of a joke. It's just ha, they're playing Fortnite. I guess all right. Well, Melissa McCarthy's in touch with the youth in a yeah. way that Octavia Spencer's character isn't. I guess it's awful. Honestly, they it's so bad this is one of the worst movies i've seen in a long time i was angry watching it okay awesome well <laughs> there's not really any segue i could do to go to my next one to be honest with you because yeah, my just, next one just hard cut hard cut out hard cut uh this is actually going to be we're not going to spend too long I, I just wanted to mention it um uh, because there might be some interest from our international listeners and i, I like to get like we can have a little bit of a chat like but basically um last year at the start of lockdown march i think it was march 2020 Tiger King came out on mm. Netflix, which is a series, so it's not a movie, so I'm not going to talk about it here. But Tiger King was a series about this crazy uh, world of of big cat ownership, basically. And, and, yeah. and it focused mainly on one fella called Joe Exotic, who is now in prison for hiring someone to kill uh, uh, an animal rights activist woman called Carol... Um, Carol Baskin? Carol Baskin. Now... Yeah. It's re- so basically the, the film that I watched this week. It's kind of it's a made-for-TV documentary, uh, mm-hmm. made for the BBC called Louis Through Shooting Joe Exotic, and it's it's actually Louis Through's had a uh, so because it's Louis Through, our international listeners. I'm sure if you can't get it on BBC through a VPN or whatever, I'm sure it'll eventually be on Netflix because Louis Through stuff always seems to end up on Netflix. Um, yeah, but basically Louis Through's gone through a patch in his career where a few things have happened where big people that he's interviewed from the past have have either died and then things have come out about them, i.e., yeah. Mr. Savile, uh, or or uh, like for example, like uh, Joe Exotic, a documentary's made about him again, and then this it's it gets blown up huge. So then he makes yeah. a documentary <clears throat> reflecting upon his time making the documentary with them, because he does yeah. get quite intimate with his with his uh, subjects of his documentaries. So basically, this this film is him going to America, um, going to the going back to the, the the park, which is now owned by Carol Baskin and her husband Howard Baskin, because they were given it because. Um, they won lawsuits against Joe Exotic, so literally they own his park now. Um, and it sort of it gives more of an understanding to Carol uh, on, Ca- on on Carol's behalf. Um, everyone okay. left. I don't know if you knew this, Connor, because you didn't see the original documentary. But everyone left that documentary, like with the question, "Did she kill her husband?" Right. So there's yeah. a huge thing in that documentary alluding to her husband went missing. Did she kill him? And somehow, like. 
I've talked to you about it before, and a part of the reason why you didn't watch it is because you know you have a real thing, and so do I, obviously. But I can go on it. Documentaries frame it the way they want to frame it. You know. Yeah, I'm always very skeptical about any documentary going in. It's like, mm, what's your what's your narrative here? Like, what do you, what narrative are you trying to push? Yeah, and 100%, they framed that documentary to make the audience think that Carol killed her husband because they wanted yeah. they wanted a murderer in 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 the in the documentary. Of course they did. They wanted it to be huge, over the top. Yeah, you want it. Sp- it needs to be spicy. It needs to be spicy. You got to get some more spice. So now. So everyone, everyone thought that to the point where she was getting like her phone, her phone for like four, three or four months after Tiger King came out all throughout the day, every day, time, every time that she clicked hang up, it would ring again. People were ringing her phone to troll her, you know? Um, yeah. And they would, they would ask, like, you know, I thought to myself to turn the phone off, Carol, like yeah. get it, change your number. But, get a uh, new number. Yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the trick. But Louis actually gets interviews with her. Um, multiple interviews with her and her husband and it's really intimate it's really eye-opening and it's a really good follow-up way better I must say than the follow-up that Netflix did because Netflix (laughs) did this stupid follow-up where like they made the the thing it was this huge phenomenon and then an actor who I can't remember who it was but it was like Jimmy Fallon or someone I can't oh it was you know who it was it was the guy who used to do the celebrity soup or whatever you call it Joel McHale Oh him. my god! Okay, great. Yeah, just so I think yeah. about when I when I think about hard hitting true crime documentaries. Yeah, and, and like literally, they were just like, "Hey, let's let's get another bit of content out." And they released like episode eight or whatever it was. The the final episode of Tiger King is getting released, and it was just literally just Joel McHale talking to the subject from from it about. Isn't it crazy that everyone loves this documentary? And they're like. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely mental. It's like this is not extra content. This is ridiculous, right? <laughs> yeah, this um, is this is money grubbing, is what yeah. this is. So this is actually the 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 follow up documentary that you want to watch. If you liked Tiger King, if you liked how over the top it was, but you understand that documentaries have particular slants on things, watch this. It's a great follow up. Blue through as usual is his usual like bumbling, you know, reflective self. Yeah, like affable, but actually manages to, through being seemingly kind of incompetent and affable, manages to ask some very hard-hitting questions as a result. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, do you, I do. Do I, you I, like I do that? Love, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I love his, I love, like, Huey, Louis Through's um, brand of documentaries because mm-hmm. I, I never get the impression that he's editing it to make it seem a certain way. I think he he's very good about letting people incriminate themselves with their yeah, own Yeah, and also, he, but he's okay as well making himself look a fool sometimes. Like if if yeah. an encounter goes a certain way that makes him look like a fool and makes actually him look look like a bit a bit of a, a mean person for asking the question he asked, he'll leave it in. Um, yeah. although, although having said that, there are some moments which he cut out of his original Joe Exotic documentary, which he did back in like 2011 or something like that. Uh, he he leaves some stuff in there. Uh, he leaves put some stuff in that has never been seen before. So check okay. it out. Check it out if you want to. That's oh, that's very cool. Uh, well, and and the big question is, did she do it? Um, I personally, <laughs> just I, I I never believed she did it. Although I did <laughs> the way they the way they put it across, it is like, well, what happened to him then? But um, but yeah, uh, like the the show the the, the documentary leaves stuff out. Like they 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 say that he tried to take a restraining order out against her two months before he went missing. Um, but what it doesn't say is that he failed to take it out uh, because there wasn't a good enough reason to take it out. And then he went home the same day and slept in the bed with her for two more months. Like he still, he didn't like leave the house and run away. He slept in the bed with her for two more months. Like, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that like that those kind of like incriminations by omission of information are classic uh, documentary, particularly Netflix documentaries. Actually, I will say, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, cool. Like Louis Through, always welcome in the house. BMP. Yeah, <laughs> I will say, um, excellent. Okay, well, I mean, that's a positive enough note to leave it on I there. So. I think, which um, leads us quite naturally into uh, answering one simple question as we always do on this show which is uh, Anthony what is your favourite movie it's got to be 8th grade check it out if you haven't seen 8th grade go and watch it yeah good that sounds great I will definitely check that out mm-hmm. um, my favourite movie movie is Misery it's like Run but with more James Caan having his legs broken um, <laughs> join Mickey Blue Mickey Blue Eyes yeah Mickey Blue Eyes um, <laughs> you're welcome Italian Americans. Forget for about that. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, we're not. We can't do it. We can't do it. We had our mafia episode last week. We're not allowed to do it anymore. Um, join us next week for another movie diary. We are thinking about doing a themed episode at some point in the near future. So keep your peepers open and your listeners. <laughs> your ears <peeled>. ajar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for um, for that. But it's going to be a movie diary next week. Um, Thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song. Check out uh, their stuff in the link below. Uh, They are awesome. And thank you to you uh, for watching. Uh, Please consider subscribing to us on the Culture Cave at YouTube or the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps if that is your preferred method of consumption. Uh, It really does help. And we will see you same time, same place next week. And come.